episode 199 of the HHH Racing Podcast is brought to you by Stables Duel, Horse Racing's Fantasy Game. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ignition. Lift off. And now let's start episode 199 of the HHH Racing Podcast. Welcome to episode 199 of the HHH Racing Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Kravitz. Thank you very much for joining us today. As we have a very special show, and we're going to be talking exclusively about the best live money tournament in the world that is coming up this weekend at the Breeders' Cup. It's the BC BC Contest with a fantastic panel to talk about how you should play the BCBC, or really live money contest in general. It's going to be a fascinating conversation with this expert panel. I can't wait to bring them on here in just a moment. Please make sure you subscribe on the bottom right-hand side of the screen. After you do that, hit that notification bell, which will tell you, tell you when new content will arise. And also smash that thumbs up button, which will tell YouTube this is a fantastic podcast to watch. You can see my Twitter handle there at the bottom, at H. Kravitz, and on the bottom of the screen, you'll see my email, hkravitzhorse at gmail.com. If you can't watch us uh, on video, you can listen to the audio version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor. We've also got a, a Power Picks here on the channel. If you're not familiar, it's a tip sheet. It's red hot right now. The ROI is almost $2.50. And we're going to have a special Breeders' Cup edition. It's going to be a huge blowout edition for both days. As you see on the screen there, it's only $16 a month, which means it's only 4 bucks a weekend, which means, I know this is crazy, your entire Breeders' Cup uh, blowout editions are 4 bucks. That's it, 4 bucks. I've seen people sell them for 30 50 75 100 No, 4 bucks. This is all, all it's going to take. We're going to help you crush Breeders' Cup weekend. Please look in the power picks, look below the video player for information. And finally, we have a pick six syndicate. We are collecting money uh, to bet into both pick sixes Friday and Saturday. We have already close to $10,000 in the kitty that we're going to be investing. If you're interested at all in the pick six syndicate here on the HHH Racing Podcast, please email me, hkravitzhorse at gmail. Dot com. I know one of our uh, guests tonight is already into the Pick 6 Syndicate. Perhaps we'll get some of the others and people that watch this podcast. Please email me if you have any interest. The deadline, by the way, to get your money in is noon Eastern Wednesday. Again, I'm not sure when you'll be watching this particular episode, but noon Wednesday, 
uh, is the latest that you can give us uh, money into the Pick 6 Syndicate. And finally, we have a great website. Check us out, hhhracingpodcast.com. Actually, one last thing I want to bring up, uh, our schedule for this week. So this week, uh, again, it depends on when you're going to be uh, listening to this uh, or watching this. But Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern, we have a show just about the post-position draw. We're going to analyze the post-positions, which uh, are going to be announced Monday at 1, uh, excuse me, at 2.30 Eastern. We're coming on at 7 Eastern talking about the post-position draw. And then Tuesday and Wednesday, our big shows, we're going to have a huge viewership, live chats going on, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, covering the show for Friday, uh, it's card. And then Wednesday's show will cover the Saturday card. You can see we have fantastic guests there. Anyway, you don't want to miss any of this, folks. We have you covered like a, go- a glove here on the HHH Racing Podcast. All right, enough of all the promos. Let's bring on our fantastic uh, panel that we have. These are all experts, experts in the live money contest world. They've won. I mean, I could run down the list. We'd be here for an hour. We also, of course, have last year's BCBC champ. Let's bring him on right now. First, the 2021 BCBC champ. Matt Miller, fantastic contest player, also from Chicago, Frank Mustari, and yet another fantastic contest player and horse owner, Marshall Graham. Guys, are we ready for the BCBC? Oh, yeah. Frank and Marshall, how are you guys doing? Good, Howard. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks Absolutely. for having me, Howard. Excited about oh, it. Oh, listen, my pleasure, guys. It's, it's First of all, I consider all you guys friends, of course, and I'm very uh, proud and happy you guys were able to come on to talk about this fascinating uh, contest and, and all things uh, BCBC. Uh, before we get started, guys, uh, tell us quickly your plans. I'll, Matt, we'll just go around to Matt, Frank, and then Marshall. Will you be there live? And uh, and what's your plan for, the, for next weekend in terms of travel and whatnot? Matt? I will definitely be there live. I think the plan kind of forever is to do that as long as I don't have conflicts. I'm getting there nice and early. I'll definitely milk this, you know, current champion thing as long as I can to the last second. Because uh, I rapidly, I think I'm going to be tied for last place with everybody else. But at least for now, I'm getting it on Wednesday. I've got some fun dinners set up. I've actually got a farm tour to go meet uh, Vino Rosso, a, a farm tour to go meet Nick's Go. Uh, Vino Rosso, I'm going with my buddy Brad Anderson, who won in 2019. So we've got some fun stuff planned, and that's before the races even start. So it should be very fun. Frank? Yeah, we're flying in Thursday morning to Louisville. Going to spend the day at Churchill, or at least half the day there watching the races. And then uh, we're going to go down to Lexington that night and have a nice dinner uh, with my son Justin, his girlfriend, and my wife at Frank and Dino's, and then be all ready to go to the races uh, Friday morning. And Marshall, I wasn't sure if you were going to be there live or not. What's your plan? I, I will not. Regrettably, I have uh, a conflict that uh, that I can't get out of. Uh, Ten Strike Racing has a runner, has Lady Rocket, and I've sort of done it, everything I could to try to make it there, even at least for Saturday. But I will be playing. Um, I will be. I'll be playing from home, or you know, I may have some travel involved, but I will not be. I'll be playing remotely. Well, we'll miss you, but we'll we'll be thinking about you, of course, Marshall, and cheering on. Uh, your your entry there for 
Time strike. Frank and Marshall, if you guys want, you're a little bit low on the screen. It's completely up to you. If you want to bring your camera down ever so slightly or not, it's fine. But you guys are a little bit. There we go. That's better. There we go, guys. Perfect. All right. So, guys, here's here's the plan for tonight. And we, we're going to have a lot of people watching. I, I'm assuming we have a lot of people who are entered in the BCBC are, are, are watching. Uh, and anyone interested in, in contest play at all, or especially live money contests, will be interested. So, I have about five or six general topics, guys, that we're going to, you know, uh, we'll go around the, the uh, room here, so to speak. And then we are going to do our famous 10 minutes of post segment at the end, which will basically be 10 rapid fire, like 10 second answers from each one of you. That is not quite in depth, but more just rapid fire. So, uh, guys, question number one, and we'll just go ahead and uh, keep the order. We'll just, we'll just switch it around for every question. Uh, we'll, we'll snake it around like we're doing a fantasy draft. Uh, First question, guys, overall philosophy. Now, as you know, you guys are willing to divulge as much or as little as, as you'd like. I don't want to, you to give away your you know, your specific picks. It's completely up to you. General philosophy, not only not really for this year, but for the BCBC in general. For example, are you tend to be more passive on Fridays and the juveniles and sort of play bigger on Saturdays? Do you prefer dirt or turf races? Do you prefer races that seem more chalky? more wide open. Now let you go first, like your general strategy, not specific to this year. Okay. So, I mean, I think I was pretty honest last year and pretty transparent in terms of my approach and it's going to be very similar, uh, maybe a little different on the very end. Uh, and again, uh, I just don't mind revealing all this well in advance. If someone <laughs> wants to try to do this along with me, be my guest, because um, we're going to try something that's never been done before, possibly. Uh, my plan is to try to have my target amount in this tournament going into the Classic, because I'd like to have the flexibility in that race to do something whacked out if I need to do that. Uh, I do think it's going to be somewhat of a free square, or it's at least very likely to be and I want to have ultimate flexibility to play whatever I want. And so working backwards from a total, uh, to answer some of your questions, I don't care at all if it's Friday or Saturday. In some strange ways, I prefer it to be Friday. Uh, I like doing things that other people are uncomfortable doing. And I think if most watchers are being honest, the idea of being knocked out of this tournament on Friday and having to come back on Saturday with no money is so dreadful that the idea of going all in on Friday is very difficult. And so, okay, I, it doesn't change the likelihood of Cave Rock winning or not, or one of the other horses winning or not. It just affects the psychology of it. And so, again, I like doing things that are uncomfortable for people. So, I don't know exactly what I'm playing yet, but I have no problem at all playing first thing Saturday, last thing Friday, turf, dirt. I'm, you know, I'm a spot picker. And so it's more a function of finding the right places. I don't really care necessarily where they fit or what kind of race they are. Uh, Frank? Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those two where I'm going to bet the race that I like the most. And if it happens to be, I mean, it's very, it's highly likely that Friday, if something happens early before the Breeders' Cup even starts or Breeders' Cup races start, there's no doubt that I, you know, I, I know it's dreadful to come back Saturday and maybe be broke on at least one entry, but that's, you know, how I got to play it. If my best opinion is 
you know, if the first race on Friday happens to be, uh, you know, a Larry Ravelli maiden first starter that, you know, he, he leans me on, I I might have to do that, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm going to bet whatever. Uh, it's, it's most likely, not most likely, it is going to happen. It's going to be dirt races for me. Me and Marshall had a nice little talk at Canterbury a couple weeks ago, and I was a little shocked to hear him kind of say, yeah, he's a dirt sprint guy. And people, I think, laugh at us when we say that. But, uh, you know, I'm sure Marshall would agree, too, that dirt sprints are where we get the best information on, you know, and that's why I like to play that. Uh, You know, the turf races with Europeans and blah, 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 all that stuff, I just gives me more of a headache. So that's hard enough for me to to win and uh, be successful. So I want to go after and put my money all in and my life on the line on a on a race I'm really comfortable in. And if it's if it's Friday early, and then so be it. At least on one of my entries. Uh, Marshall, before you answer, I could be wrong, guys. Of course, the races that are going to be before the Breeders' Cup haven't come out, but I think they still have the version of the Breeders' Cup Marathon will be running. It's not officially a Breeders' Cup race. They also used to, of course, have a two-year-old dirt sprint sort of Breeders' Cup race. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have that as well. Uh, again, that's not officially a Breeders' Cup race. But, uh, Marshall, how do you feel overall uh, with those questions? Um, yeah, I I, uh, I will play primarily will play the dirt races. At least that's what I've been handicapping and thinking about now. Uh, you know, I, if I really like a turf horse if something jumps out at me uh you know i i I do have a horse i've circled for friday that i like that's a one of the turf races last year i did go all in on the japanese horse loves only you but those aren't you know my main handicapping and studying will be dirt races i i refer to other people or or uh, on the turf races you know i'm i'm i will i am also willing to dump in on friday i've said that the last few years I came in with a strategy in 2019 of going all in on British idiom on Friday. I did not and, and, and kicked myself. And then 2020, I said I would go all in on VQuest. I did not and kicked myself. Um, and so it's it's I found it harder for me to put that into action. I'm somewhat of a loss averter. Uh, I do think what makes this year different is I don't see as many opportunities on Saturday as I have in as I did in 2019 or 2020. So, you know, it could be that, uh, you know, that if that, that based on that, I'll jump in on Friday. I, I don't really care about the undercard races. Um, I, I probably won't look at those. And uh, some of the turf races, again, uh, this year seems heavily on the European participation. The, um, the Americans seem, you know, inferior horses, not, not very good in sort of any of the divisions, uh, except for maybe the turf sprint that, that I won't spend a lot of time on those. And Look, the, 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 aside from being willing to push it on Friday, the other thing is if I don't, you know, I'll really have two or three or four spots that I play. Um, and, uh, you know, the rest of the time, the other six races, I'll punt. I mean, I don't mind betting 600 in the show. I don't have to try to score out on anything. I'm, you know, I'm trying to basically isolate my best opinions and, uh, and go from there. And I bet cash on the side. I've, I've learned that um, there's nothing worse than having a good day handicapping and coming back with zero dollars from this contest and so i will either you know have a good day in the contest and crush it in cash or get crushed in the contest get crushed in cash or if i get crushed in the contest on friday then at least i can cash out on saturday so it really uh it really uh it really depends but it, you know it's it, it could be a bleak weekend or an exciting one i i hear yeah i know this gentleman right here had a had a real nice horizontal play 
uh, several years ago in, in the Brewers' Cup. And you stole one of my 10 minutes to post questions, Marshall, so I don't want to ask you in detail more about side wagering. And Matt, when we get to that 10 minutes to post question, you can you can talk about the bet that I know you're that you want to talk about. Uh, for full disclosure, for everyone watching, I am also playing DCDC as well. Um, and I'll just quickly I'll quickly comment that um, I, I thought the Friday races this year in particular are very tricky. The juvenile rate, two year olds in general, of course, are, are more volatile, right? They're more uh, unpredictable. Some people like that. Some people don't. To me, the bigger prices usually happen on Friday, but again, it's very situational. It's hard to say. There are some heavy trucks this year on Friday and Saturday, but several on Saturday. Of course, that doesn't mean they have to win. I agree, guys. I like I prefer dirt races. There are some turf horses I'm interested in, but in general, I prefer dirt. And I actually prefer routes, guys, a little more, only because you can recover from a bad start. Dirt sprints if you make a little mistake, especially in these races, you're in a lot of trouble. So, but I agree with dirt in general. Uh, Marshall, we're going to let you go with this first question, and then we'll wrap around the other way. Frank, Matt, do you even watch or care about the leaderboard? Marshall. Uh, no, not really. I, I will, I'll start thinking about the leaderboard on um, Saturday. I mean, I'll, I'll look at it. Uh, I know that a couple years ago, you know, someone got up to $100,000 on day one, and, um, but basically, you know, didn't, didn't move off that number. So, uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't know if it'll change my sort of overall philosophy in terms of what number I think I can go for. So, you know, I'm watching it, but I'm more focused on sort of my own play up until we get to the, to really, to really the classic. Frank? Yeah, I've been the same thing. I, I you know, I'll have a plan in place uh, throughout both days, you know, sometime by the end of Wednesday, most likely I'll have all my handicapping done and I'll have a good plan or what I hope is a good plan anyway. Um, to get to a certain number, you know, 125, 150,000, I'm going to, you know, I, I always try to get a, a little bit higher because I know people are, uh, uh, if they're shooting for 100, you know, Matt means Matt's going for 150 or 200. So we know how that game plays and, and we got to shoot for a little higher than just getting uh, a few thousand over. But I'll have a plan in place and I'll stick to it till the end and then you know, if I have 3,000 or 50,000 going into the classic, then you have to look at the leaderboard, obviously, and know uh, know what you need to, you know, get to or what kind of plays you got to make to get to that uh, final number. Matt, I know we've talked about this before, but, of course, a lot of the public uh, doesn't know how you feel about this uh, leaderboard. Look, don't look. Who cares? Afraid? You know, I used to be a little more brash about not looking I admit now I look mainly for social reasons just to see if there's a friend up there that I could root for. But honestly, I couldn't care less until, you know, I'd probably say it's not quite at the classic. It's probably two, you know, probably two before the classic where I think you really have to start those last couple plots. But, you know, other, you know if, you, if you see someone with a total that is threatening to your anticipated winning total you may have to do something different but otherwise like i said it's for social reasons i'm rooting for people if it's not me well i know someone last year got to seventy thousand pretty quick i'd like to say second or third race the beers cup but didn't end up uh winning and, and uh you know so sort of what frank was saying just because you have an early score doesn't really guarantee anything other than you have that money to make that decision with uh frank i'll let you ask uh, answer this last question uh flight line Let's talk specifically about this previous stuff now, uh, BCBC. 
this is a very unusual circumstance. In fact, I was just doing a little research. The last time there was a significantly heavy favorite, or actually not the last time, but the heaviest favorite ever in a classic. You guys know who it is? Who the heaviest favorite in, in a Breeders' Cup classic? You want to take a guess? I would have guessed American Pharaoh. I don't know. No. Easy, was Goer, easy Goer was one to two against Sunday <laughs> Silence in the 19, I think it was 89 or 90 Breeders' Cup. I couldn't believe that Easy Goer was that low. And by the way, if you want to check out an unbelievable race, check out the Easy Goer Sunday Silence Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, Frank, does Flightline uh, on the end of this BCBC contest, is that going to change not necessarily yours, but people's strategy in general? What do you think? I'm sure it will. Um, but I think, you know, every classic, there's not necessarily a horse that's this short, but, uh, you know, you're going to want to get to a number, whatever that is. And then, uh, you know, I'm sure there's going to be someone out there who might get to 50,000 who's going to take that 50,000 and make a one number exacta that's going to pay $6.80. I mean, so that's going to happen and you got to be prepared for it and you got to know if you're going to win you got to be willing to put and again i don't know if i'd be capable i'd want to say i would be capable and you know my wife's upstairs and she thinks i'm crazy but <laughs> you know I, I did bet twenty thousand to win on mckenzie and i think it was the only time in the history of racing that bob baffert like didn't win at the classic when he was supposed to and it was when i had twenty thousand to win on mckenzie and i didn't even get a run like halfway through the second turn you know but uh but i did do that but if it's fifty thousand. I don't know if I can go all in on a big exacto like that because it, you know, value wise, it doesn't make sense in the real world. But I know when you add in the prize money, it does make sense. You know, you turn that two to one exacto into a 15 or 12 to one exacto, whatever it is in the prize money, then, you know, in our crazy betting world, that we, that's how we justify what we do, you know, every day. So, uh, so we'll see, but yeah, I'm, I hope I'm in that position, and that's what my plan is to get to a spot where, uh, uh, you know, I could do whatever I want, like Matt said, and and maybe it's even to the point where I might try to get far enough ahead where, you know, like Matt said, put pressure on them to really go after you, you know, and uh, you know, so it, it all plays itself out throughout the whole thing, but you know, being prepared is what uh, will give you the best chance to to be the top guy at the end. Matt, similar to a $2, uh, you know, pick and pray, whether it be pick and pray or live $2 mythical, do you think some people at the end might get a little cheeky and put, you know, $25,000 to win on Epicenter or something just because I don't know who the second choice is going to be, but you have to figure the second choice is going to be, what, minimum five to one? Um, what's your opinion with Flightline being, I'm going to say three to five in the classic? And that might be low or high, excuse me. Yeah, I, I think it should affect people's play in from a game theory perspective more than it's going to. Uh, I think the people who are doing very well in this tournament towards the end with high balances, by and large, are going to be ready to do something crazy. And so someone sitting there thinking that they have a crazy idea of a $10,000 straight exacta. I don't think they have any idea of how little a difference that's going to make, you know, in most years, I think that's, you know, a winning move. And I think in this year, I don't think they're thinking about it. Right. And so unless you're sitting with a pretty big total and you're going to be one of those people going for flight line, 
I'd honestly get off a flight line. I think you're going to find a lot of value in the other horses. I would venture to say that in, in the entirety of the BCBC, we might see the biggest exacta pool in the class that we've ever seen, just because of the scenario you guys are talking about. Marshall, does flight line change your strategy or other people's strategy you think this year? Well, I, I'm, I'm a little bit less concerned about it. I do think that under flight line is a pretty competitive race. So I don't think it is as, as simple as, you know, I think that, that given the three or four horses that look like they can run underneath, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be as low as two to one on the best exacta. So, you know, you're talking about an eight horse field, uh, you know, one of the best, you know, one of the strongest classics we've ever had, right? It's just we have this horse that's, that's lengths faster than everybody else. But we have seven horses. I could see any of them, you know, you can make, I, I can't see, but you can make arguments for any of the seven to run underneath. And so that's potential 42 uh, 42 trifecta combinations. And, you know, if there will be trifecta combinations that will pay, you know, 10, 20, 30 to one. Yeah. So, you know, I think the problem is, is that you gotta have, you, you gotta have more than 10 grand coming into that last race, right? Cause you, otherwise, you know, it's just, you're literally working with a straight tri combination. You know, you're going to have to have 20, 30, 40 to work with exactas. And then you're going to have to sort of know where you stand. I mean, if you're sitting in sixth place and you really want to play the flat line over epicenter exacta, there might be someone one spot ahead of you plays the same thing in your block, right? So that that's going to be that's going to be different in terms of how I approach this. The other thing is, you know, the no man's land of it. Like, what do you do if you get to 80 or 100, right? I mean, at 80, do you go all in on flat line at three to five? I mean, I'm not sure I have the, the, the I'm not sure I have the Stones? You know, yes, I was, I, was looking for, I was looking for the PG-13 line to say, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure I can do that. I, don't, like, I do think that, like, the, the, I'd love to get to 80. You know, it's, it, you're getting, if you get to 150, there's a lot you can do, right, and be defensive. If you get to 80, you're in a weird position, right, unless you just want to sort of lay up to hit the board. And then if you get to 20 or 30, you kind of got a puncher's chance, but you've got to be very precise, right? So, you know, two trifecta combinations, um, an exacta combination. Uh, and so, I, you know, that's that's how I play it. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're eight, you're three to five, you know, what, 16 times three, you win 48. That gets you to 128. That may not be enough. I mean, so like you're saying, it's it's real tricky. And the, the blocking issue is going to be a real big deal this year because there's really only so many – combinations you can play here in this race so it's gonna be it's gonna be uh fascinating for sure um my general opinion guys is i think the turf the, the you know the race course before the classic is gonna be a lot of money there's gonna be a lot of money that people are gonna try to get in position about the classic i can see a lot of people going all in on the turf one way or another i'm not sure i'll be doing that but uh i think i think you're gonna see more people out before the classic just because they feel like they need to get in that position where they can fire. Guys, we have two more quick questions, then we're going to go ahead and go to our 10 minutes post segment. Matt, we'll let you start with this. How many players, percentage-wise, in general, do you think are willing to go for it at the end? Sort of Marshall's saying, like, all in, crazy amount. Um, I know it's something you're willing to do. Give me a ballpark percentage. Let's say there's 500 people in the contest, which means there could be, like, 600 entries. But let's just go with the 500 number of people, what percent or number of people are willing to just go all in and just go for it? 
I think probably 10% of the population is willing to do something really aggressive and really crazy. Yeah, there's probably another 10% of the population that might find themselves in a position where they all of a sudden are willing to do that, where they didn't necessarily think they would be going in, but they're in a really good position. For the rest, I think it gets much more uh, tactical and you know maybe it's not about going for the win, but there's 15 spots that pay, uh, and they pay handsomely, and so, and there's NHC spots on top of it. And so I do think um, I think there's a lot more people than what I'm saying that are certainly in it to hit the leaderboard. But in terms of willingness to bet a crazy twenty thousand dollar exact or ten thousand dollars right back, that I, maybe ten percent's even a little high. I, we'll see. Frank, where are you percentage-wise with that number? Yeah, I, I would guess at that same number, and I think it's probably way lower. I think I'll revert to Marshall on this one because I got a funny feeling Marshall knows, and I'll put Matt in with me, I think Marshall probably knows what that number is. I think he's probably one of the guys who, who might – him and Tony Zhao, I think, track player history. Um, so maybe Marshall might have a better feel for that, uh, you know, I think it's probably a lot, lot less. Um, I think if guys are at 40 or 50, again, or, or at 100, like Marshall said, I don't. I know I wouldn't risk 100,000 in the last race. I think I would probably change my tactic. You know, if I knew the right way to do it, theoretically, is to bet 100,000 and win on a flight line to get to 160, I, I don't have those – I don't think I would have the stones to do that, even though I know that that's what the math tells me to do. I think I'd probably revert to saying, okay, let me risk 20 and make two $10,000, you know, tries. I, I think that's, I would love to say that I could do the 100,000 because I know that's what you're supposed to do in a situation like that to create more value on flight line. But it's not an easy thing to do. And I'm pretty sure that the numbers are real low who would actually risk all 50,000 if that's the number they all had. I think it's a real low number. Much easier said than done. Like you said, yeah. people have wives and families to answer to. It's not that simple. Marshall, uh, do you have – you're the stats guy apparently tonight. Do you, do you have the number? I don't. I, it's a, it, That would be a good project. I'll do that. I'll do that post-race, but right. I think it's important have to remember – Have your students do that, Marshall. Have your students well, but it's, yeah. a, it's important to remember that, that what we can't measure is there are people who would go all in with their last 5 or 10 to 15 grand – who would not at 50 to 80. And unlike a, unlike I think a regular year, this is going to be a situation where that if you have 80, you know, you're not, you're going to have to make, you, you're not going to be in a great, you're going to be in a great position, but it's going to be tricky to play out. Right. And so um, I, it's, uh, I don't know the answer. I guess I would agree with, with Matt and Frank's assessment. And uh, again, I think what's, what's going to be a little different this year is that, you know, a lot of people in the 10 to 15 to 20 range, uh, I'd be very curious about how they play it. Um, because it, again, it's, it's really about how much people are willing to lose and going all in at 15 is much different than going all in at 40. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no question about it. Um, I know Matt, you said you got to think of it as like monopoly money, but that's easy to say until you, you go up to that betting window and you press in, you know, two oh 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 oh, or whatever the maximum is, or one oh 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 oh, 
repeat, repeat, repeat. Like, what the F am I doing? Because <laughs> that's how I felt last year. Uh, that was like a five thousand dollar bet, but I'm you know not as big a, a better as some other people. Go ahead, Matt. You want to talk? I did it twice last year, and it felt absolutely ridiculous. It was I think yeah. thirty three grand one time and twenty four the other time. And right, I mean, but the only reaction I have is what Marshall said a few seconds ago when he talked about losing fifty grand. I think the healthier mindset, if you can get to it, is to just think of it as losing ten. <laughs> It's, it's, it's like a true degenerate right there. That's what the, that's what the casinos want you to think too, right? Well, I look at it, man. I look at it even different. I'm in the situation. I I won both of my entries this year, so I look at it. It's like it's totally free. I didn't lose nothing. You know, that's how Absolutely. I justify things. I think, and uh, um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. And uh, if I'm in there, and I I know for all of us, and Matt, you've done it, and I think Marshall, you. Um, either have wanted, I think you did two years ago or have been real close, but I know uh, that this is probably my number one thing that I would love to win. My son, Justin won the NHC, but the BCBC to me is, is what I would really love, love to win. If I had a choice as a, as a horse owner would be the Kentucky Derby. And as a live money contest player, the BCBC would, uh, would be the, you know, icing on the cake for me. And Marshall, which year did you win and you beat Jonathan Kitchen, correct, for a second? Yeah, and you know, that year when I went all in, I just felt really, really good about my bets, right? And um, and I had I was make I had such a great weekend on the side, right? So that, that I was gonna have a great weekend anyway. But it, like when I pushed all in a monomore girl and then I, you know, played played combinations that I liked in the classic. In both situations, I was very confident and felt very, very good about my plays. And so you know, hopefully, you know, we're looking at these races and, you know, hopefully I'll get to Saturday and get to make a play that I feel good about. And often, you know, oftentimes you won't get that chance, right? Because you'll be put in a position that you won't have the money or that uh, to, to make the play that you'll need to get you where you need to go, right? And so, you know, you hope that everything can line up, the stars can align, that you can go with your best plays. But, uh, but you know, I'll have strategies. I'll have other horses that I'll consider if my uh, if some of my early plays don't work out and I have to you know swing a little bit more for the fences. Uh, last question, guys, before we get to our ten minutes post, Marshall will have you first, and then Frank, then Matt. Uh, what are your main presses right now? And if you don't want to talk about specific horses, completely understand. But maybe a race that you're really focusing on. Of course, other than the classic, is there a race or a horse? And any part of the weekend, Marshall will let you go first. That you're really looking to zoom in on to try to get to a number in the class uh, a lot of it is going to depend on the draw I, I, look keelan is keelan is not the best place to have a breeder's cup right you've got that short stretch uh the short stretch juvenile races uh you know there's a lot of things i think that that from a, a sort of handicapping standpoint and in and, and race standpoint don't make it the best track and i think like a, a race like the the dirt mile right um you know they're starting basically on the turn so, you know, I, I, I'm not going to sort of jump on horses now that things could sort of change drastically based upon uh, potential pace scenarios. The one, the one horse I really like on Friday right now, and again, I, I, I want to stress that if, you know, if I don't end up playing this horse you see in the BCB set on playing it, that, that things can, can very well change based on the draw, based on how they're working. But um, I really like a, a, I don't even know how to pronounce this freaking name, Jagiri in the uh, juvenile Phillies turf. Um, I, I think she's going to be a price. 
you know, she ran uh, a debut second behind Pink Hugh, who I think was the real talent, the best horse in Chad Brown's barn, the best horse in the division. And Pink Hugh got hurt, came back and ran off the screen at Saratoga. They put her on the dirt because they weren't sure she could get into Jessamine. So I think I think her form is a little bit disguised. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited about her, and I think she's going to be decent price. I don't know if she's a shove-all-in horse, but I think she's a horse that kind of can get my Friday rolling and get me in a good position to play some, you know, chalkier horses that I might like on um, that I might like on Saturday. That's the horse that starts with an X that was in the juvenile Phillies and was sort of battled to the wire and bumped with Raging Sea, correct? That's the horse we're talking about, Marshall. Yeah, she's gonna run on the turf. She'll right, run right. in the she'll run in the right. she'll run the turf. Now again, she'll have to draw well. I'll have to you know and I'll have to I'll have to be assured that none of the Euros are gonna be cinches, right? So they and so it's like I, I, if I pitch all in on a turf race, right? Uh, it, it would have to be something that I felt super confident about, given that uh, given that I'm a dirt guy. But uh, I really like her. She's the one that kind of uh, uh, catches my eye early, and then you know, hopefully, be in a position to to take some shorter prices, hit some exactas the next day in the dirt races. Interesting. Well, that race is wide open. I think Meditate will be a, a favorite in that race from Europe, uh, but but we'll see what happens. Uh, Frank, a specific horse or race you're keeing on before the classic. I think what same like Marshall. I'm waiting for the draw to see how things uh, post position draw is big for me. Um, see see some morning lines and base some value off potential public over over bad horses that I can jump into. The the dirt mile and the Philly and mare sprint are the two that I think I'm looking at now. I couldn't even tell you who I'm playing, but I can just tell that those look like intriguing races to me. But um, I'm hoping that. Friday, like I said before, I'm hoping Friday that the the one other than early in the day, and I think there's a two other than early in the day on the dirt, supposedly in the condition book. I'm hoping that creates some value and that can get me off started. And and as handicappers and gamblers, I think getting off to a good start and our first bet is so key sometimes that uh, you know just for the mental aspect of it to feel like you belong and uh, you know put some money in your pocket where you can take some other chances. So. That's what I'm hoping on Friday, and then uh, and then get to the end, and, and you know, and have a good shot at uh, you know taking that trophy home. Yeah, it's a fascinating strategy. I really wasn't considering betting the races before the Breeders. I know people were aggressive with Lone Rock last year in the marathon that happened before the Breeders' Cup races, so maybe that kind of play, Frank, you, you'd be interested in. Uh, Matt, specific horse or race you're looking into before the Classic? Uh, I love. The fact that people don't like playing turf races. <laughs> uh, so, especially in turf races where there are speed horses that can get out and the race doesn't run like a turf race, I will be keying on uh, Golden Pal for sure. Uh, very likely Cave Rock, part because of that short stretch issue. Um, and obviously, Flight Line on the end. At, you know, where in between. I could picture Jackie's Warrior, you know, the kind of setup that I like. And I think all of those other than Cape Rock that I just gave is I, you know, I like a Jackie's Warrior type when there's a Jack Christopher in the race to help the price. And so I think the name of Golden Pals competition is Highfield Princess or the main competition. Same principle where you've got another primary competitor that's going to help the price and 
those are the ones I'm looking at. If, if I see something crazy and the odds look strange or whatever, I'll look elsewhere. But I'm, I'm looking more to lean into reliable favorites than for long shots. My general thought, guys, on Friday uh, is twofold. I'm very interested in the juvenile dirt races. Uh, in the Philly race, there's a horse I really like a lot uh, that I'm going to be using quite heavily. And then in the boys' race, there's a horse I like a lot underneath. I think uh, this is nothing special to say, but, I mean, Cave Rock's going to be very tough. But I think there's some value underneath, and there's a horse that I'm extremely interested in uh, underneath. And then on Saturday, uh, and I know, Marshall, you're going to have a special uh, reasoning to be interested in this race. The Philly and Mirror uh, sprint, I absolutely love a horse. Love, love, love a horse, and I don't think she's going to be favored, and that will be a big play for me. Uh, I don't know about an all-in kind of play, but it'll be a significant amount of money up by uh, entry or entries uh, will be surrounding the uh, Philly Mirror Sprint, which is early in the day, so I can get lucky. Uh, that could really set me up nicely for the rest of the day. Uh, guys, we have one more segment left. Uh, this is a popular segment, and again, uh, we can take as much time as you guys want. I just don't want to take too much of your time but you can answer in five seconds 30 seconds whatever you're comfortable with it's 10 questions it is 10 minutes to post 10 minutes to post these are gonna be 10 rapid fire questions guys again they're meant to be answered quickly uh just to keep things uh, in order we'll just go ahead and matt frank marshall in that order matt we're gonna start with you first 10 minutes to post 10 rapid fire questions here we go matt you try to win with euros or beat them? I try very hard to beat them. Frank? Definitely try to beat them because I know very little about them. <laughs> Marshall? <laughs> uh, I, I try to win with them. Wow. I try to win with them going long and beat them going short. How's that? So uh, that, that's my, I think, two-turn on Saturday. They're going to be very tough to beat, and I'm not trying to beat them in those races. Uh, Matt, do you prefer speed types or closers, or is it just very situational? Uh, mostly speed types, but that's from a risk management standpoint. I just don't like having to navigate large fields and rely on trips that much. Frank? Yeah, I definitely agree. If I go through a card or two days with the cards, I, I try to find that, that lone speed value horse first, and then uh, uh, I see that's like to have my biggest caches when I do that. So definitely I lean at speed horses, hopefully. Marshall. Yeah, I'm a dirt guy. I mean, you got to, the speed horses, uh, is, speed is such a huge tactical advantage. And if you can figure out who's going to have the lead uh, for the first quarter, you're suddenly positive ROI, right? So that's, uh, you know, that's how I start handicapping every race. But, uh, but yeah, I much prefer, much prefer speed horses. These are not turf races in New York. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, going 25 and 50 to the half, most likely. And by the way, the weather's going to be great. We should mention it looks like the weather's going to be unusually warm, outstanding. They did get some rain in, uh, in Lexington today. Small chance of rain tomorrow. It's not going to be rock hard, firm, or anything like this in the summer. I think it's, they might list it firm. It's probably more on the good side. But I think it's going to be really fair for everyone. It's not going to be real firm. It's not going to be real soft. Uh, it should be great. Uh, Matt, we, we sort of touched on this earlier. Do you play on the side, on the BC, in the BC, uh, other than the BCBC? If yes, you like to hedge, press, uh, pick fours, pick fives. They're not allowed in the BCBC, etc. So I, I think Marshall and I are going to be a little different on this one. I try as hard as I can not to play outside the tournament. The only real exceptions would be hedging, uh, and it would 
take something kind of special to be able to hedge that. Uh, and the other exception would be if there's a string of races that I know I'm not playing in the contest and I'm going to be too bored. And so I'll play like a pick five or something just to keep action going. And that's kind of the story from 17 where I hit a six figure score just screwing around waiting for the contest to start. So kind of a good problem. Man, I'm guessing some people have already had in the classic because of this flight line situation. I just, it's just a wild guess that some people might have already put some large win bets in the future. Oh, oh it was you. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll fess up to that. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, I, I'm really not a fan of these futures pools, if I'm being honest, but I, I did it for two reasons. Uh, and one is actually the reason that I don't like these futures pools. It just seemed to me with the odds what they were, you were getting a free call option on flight line scratching. And with all the talk about this being a horse made of glass and whatever, uh, I figured a flight line scratch, uh, my horse had a really good chance of graduating to being the favorite. And so I bet my horse from double digits down to the point that it was about eight to one. And uh, we'll see. So I'm feeling pretty covered on at least one horse already. Uh, Frank, uh, hedge, press, side action? Yeah, a lot of side action as far as uh, pick fours, pick fives, pick sixes. Uh, I do a lot of that. Um, hedging is not something I can get my brain to do. Um, I know at times I probably should, but I'm more of one of those. If I get to a big situation and one of my good friends, Jim Bennis, could vouch for this, I, I seem to press. I, I just... Uh, if I have an opinion and I'm live to a big pick four to a horse who comes up and he's now 12 to one, I, I still stupidly got to bet him to win because if he's still value to me, I, I, I jump in another pool, you know, so I'm not a big hedger, but I will be betting on the side as far as multi bets uh, for without a doubt. Value is value, right? I don't care if it's the BCBC, uh, a Sunday at Charlestown, whatever. Uh, Marshall. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely bet on the side, um, and I will I will play the Breeders' Cup as hard as any any day of the year. Um, I you know it's hard to stay focused, especially later on in the contest. Um, but I will I will try to map out my side bets and play them aggressively, so I have a chance to have a sort of spectacular losing day, um, <laughs> or a, a significantly winning day. And um, I will hedge, um, you know, not to the extent that that you know. Uh, I use two horses and we'll use a third on the side, but you know, if I play, you know, the trifecta combination that's one by two by one, right. Trying to get a horse in third, I may use that horse in the exacta just in case something goes funny or, you know, may use another horse in second. So, so it's more, it's, it's much more narrow plays that I don't think makes sense to include as a contest play, right. I want to be narrower in the contest so I can get a bigger payout, uh, things that I would like, um, and I see could happen, but a little bit less likely and uh, would give me too small a path for the contest. I'll play in cash. And um, and so, uh, see, so yeah, I'll do I'll do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just add to that. I mean, especially in a contest like this, the idea of leaving the putt short is is just so awful that if there's something else you really like and want to play, I'd much rather just play it on the side than dilute my chances in the contest. Yeah, I have to play on the side, guys, uh, especially pick fives, because similar to every weekend, there's a lot of bad money out there. Uh, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I do know some horses are going to be, you know, wild underlays uh, and wild overlays. And I just 
there's too much value not to bet on the side. Uh, I won't be betting, you know, nearly as much, of course, uh, that I do in the BCBC, but I have to bet on the side. Um, all right. One more question. Or Sorry, Matt, we'll let you start here and then actually we'll reverse it for the last five. Uh, next question, Matt, do you uh, do anything superstitious or quirky when watching the big races? Uh, I have a certain sweatshirt that uh, <laughs> I have fallen in love with. You can guess probably where I got this one at some point. And, you know, one fun thing that I do is I do listen to a lot of music while watching these races. And it does make those songs kind of fun if the horse ends up doing well. So you walk away with a nice little memory. I have been a witness to that. I can uh, fully vouch for that. Frank? Yeah, nothing really crazy. I, I think I just, I basically, not so much for the BCBC contest because I'm not worried about taking trip notes so much, but uh, I, I'm usually working as I'm watching the race. Uh, when I'm playing my golf stream stuff, I'm I'm taking notes because I want to learn for the future, you know? So I'm not, and I don't really cheer much. I think the in the last 20 years, no matter what the size of the score is, I've cheered once in my life and that wasn't, me winning it was when justin won the nhc when i was yelling for jj turning for home um i'm not even sure what i said but i know i was cheering and i'm not usually a big cheer but uh but that was the one time i did but i, I like to watch the race learn from it and uh and then at the end i can do a little celebrate i guess marshall uh not really again i don't i don't have any i'm, I'm just again watching the races i'm i'm looking at a lot of the numbers that come in i'm often checking prices after they've gone off um, you know, if, they, if I'm live, I'll certainly cheer and yell, but at home, I mean, there's no one around. I'll just, I'll just have a TV on and, and watch. And, uh, you know, I mean, last year, I didn't, last couple of years, the race, I don't bet, like if it's a turf race that I didn't follow, I'll be doing other things. I'll look up and see you cross the wire first. The year order of Australia won at 80 something to one. I look up, I'm like, well, there's no way I would have had that back to work. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not, I don't have any uh, superstitions. I'm actually pretty quiet. Uh, when I watch races, I know I've watched a lot of races with Matt. The only, probably my biggest yell, maybe in my career, was a horse that you liked also, Marshall, when I had a huge double last year from Life is Good to Love's Only You. And I was very quiet watching the entire Philly and Mare uh, turf until about mid-stretch when I saw Love's Only You find that hole. And then I was yelling like a like an MFR. I'm not going to lie about it. But that was for about a $25,000 score, which at the time was the biggest score I've ever had in my life. So... Uh, but no, I don't have anything superstitious. We've all watched a million races, so we, none of us really get too carried away with anything that goes on during the race, unless there's a very hard study or check or something like that. All right, last five questions. We're going to go reverse order. Marshall, you're going to be first. Biggest mistake people make in the BCBC with their handicapping? Again, not strategy, but specific to the Breeders' Cup. Any handicapping mistakes you think you see? uh not really i mean i don't i i don't i think that uh, you know maybe the hesitancy people's hesitancy to bet favorites because i think favorites offer great value at the breeders cup uh especially because we've had so many long shots win but you know you're getting you know you're gonna get um you're gonna get good numbers on cave rock you know uh, you're gonna get a, a, a good number on uh golden pal i i just think you you'll, you'll see forces that should be shorter that'll be four to five even money six to five that you might otherwise so i'm i'm like i'm fine taking favorites i'm fine betting straight exactctas uh i'm fine betting you know super effective with uh one or two total combinations right 
Yeah, I think the, the biggest mistake people make in the BC, Marshall hit it perfectly, is when you're out of your comfort level and you're betting more than you typically would any other day of the year or any other contest, I think most people seem to handicap more favorites. And, they, you know, they'll – you know they'll bet they'll go to the track and bet their twenty dollars or fifty dollars whatever their comfort level is on a six or seven or eight to one shot on a on a Saturday, but in the BCBC when they're betting out of their comfort level, I think they tend to try to what they consider play it safe. And I think you got to play it the same way you play every other day, within reason. I mean there there are some variables that change that, but within reason, if you're a guy who is going to play six, eight to one shots for whatever the amount is. You better be able to do it on Breeders' Cup contest uh, Saturday because uh, that's, you know, what's going to get you there, you know, some of the times. Uh, uh, and don't shy away from it if you like to do it. I think, I think that's great advice, Frank. Uh, Matt? Uh, with the same underlying intent as Frank's advice, it's pretty much do what you're good at and know what you're not. And for me, uh, for the life of me, I don't understand why people one time a year think they are experts in watching workouts or in handicapping Euros. I, I mean, I, th I think the coverage on FanDuel TV is great, except honestly, I would be better off just listening, not watching. I don't know what I'm looking at. And I, I think it's nuts that at this one time a year, people somehow become experts on European racing and whatever. I'd rather just listen to the experts and admit what I don't know. And that that's the mistake I think people make is they, they just try to do too much. I think this year in general, guys, we've all seen a lot of you know small fields in some of these stake races this year, more than normal. I think with with the with the favorites that supposedly can't lose, you gotta be careful because some of these horses have just not faced tough fields this year specifically. And there are horses that are gonna be facing significantly more difficult horses than they ever have all year long. And so I, I think that's just something to consider. I'm not saying I don't like some of the favorites. I'm just simply saying horses that have run off the screen or like mean, Floodline's a perfect example. Is he going to win? Probably. But he's never, ever faced a horse like life is good ever in his life. I'm fully convinced of that. So again, I, I, be careful with these horses that look unbeatable in these bigger fields with other very good horses in them. Uh, next question. This is simple. Uh, Marshall, whether you've been there or not, what do you think is the best BC, BC track location, either to be there live or just because the uh, the, way the, the way the track is configured or just anything? Yeah, I, I think Oaklawn. I think Oaklawn. Oaklawn is the best. <laughs> Oaklawn is the best they combination. They haven't had a BC, BC yet, have they? Yeah, but they don't, they don't have – it's the perfect combination of turf and, and dirt, so they could run the turf races on dirt. Um, so I think Oakland, no, like for realistic answer, I think Churchill Downs. I think it's really ridiculous that we have, you know, an hour away is this huge track that, you know, we could let people in at reasonable prices where there's all sorts of tiered options in terms of fancy dining rooms and seats. It seats 80,000 people. Um, you know, we can run the dirt mile on one turn. Um, and, uh, you know, I get that, you know, the, the, in an ideal world, they don't have the problems with the turf course, right? But it's just... Um, you know, I think Churchill is the is the ideal place to have it, um, and Santa Anita as well. I think Del Mar is too uh, Del Mar the stretch is too short, and it's just you know too many weird idiosyncrasies of that track. So Santa Anita and Churchill would be uh, the two tracks for me. Frank, yeah, I would definitely agree. The, the only reason I think I'd give a little nod to Santa Anita is just because of the 
the weather, you know, you're pretty sure you're going to get, you know, a fast, firm track. And uh, that's how I, I think we'd all like to see it happen. Uh, but yeah, those are definitely the only two places they should probably have it. And, you know, they should probably ask us horse players where we want to have it because we can help them out, but they never do that. So we'll leave that for another podcast, I guess. <laughs> Matt? Uh, Santa Anita, definitely for me, for the reasons the guys already said. I've never been to Keeneland, you know, so I do like the aspect of going to places I haven't been or haven't been in a while. But realistically, uh, the size of the track matters, the weather matters, and yeah, Santa Anita would be my pick. Uh, yeah, Santa Anita won. Churchill's a close second only because you're not sure about the weather and the turf conditions. I also like to say, as an owner of some New York, bred horses and having connections the last few years to New York. This is a whole other discussion, but it's completely ridiculous that they don't have the Breeders' Cup in New York anymore. And I understand the weather could be iffy, but it, it's great. There are great venues there. Um, they might be changing, though, with construction and whatnot. But a Belmont Breeders' Cup, I always think is special. I just it's, it's a shame uh, that that may never happen again. But uh, anyway, I just want to give a shout out to New York because they've had some great uh, Breeders' Cups there as well all right guys we got three more questions again really appreciate your time with uh former bcb well current and former bcbc champions matt mill and marshall graham an excellent possibly soon to be bc bc champion frank Mustari, or who knows maybe you know the sun shines on a dog's ass every once in a while you never know uh marshall three more questions what's your goal in this year's bcbc is it based on accumulating a certain bankroll or a placing in the contest no, I'd like to win. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, like, again, the year I won, uh, you know, I was super thrilled. I knew I had a big day, but I was very worried. You just never know until the, you know, the, the leaderboard comes up and yeah. you hate to, you hate to be so successful and score out and finish second. Right. Because, you know, the money will be spent, you know, and, but the, the trophy and the, the having the, the, the name on the, you know, the, having the name up there as a champion uh, won't. So I, you know, I want to win the thing. I want to win it again. It was so much fun to win the first time. I want to do it again. <laughs> Frank? Yeah, definitely winning. You know, right now, sitting with these two guys we're sitting with, Howard, and they're both winners. I want to be able to ask back next year for this podcast. So, yeah, I definitely want to win. This is, like I said earlier, this is something that, you know, definitely I would dream to do for my handicapping career as a BCBC and, uh, you know, like I said earlier, that 50,000, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm pretty sure I'll figure out how to put the 50,000 all in because I know to win it uh, would be worth taking that gamble for losing the 50,000. My wife, who's going with me this time, might not be real happy <laughs> if I lose the 50,000, but she'll get over it. Uh, Matt, I don't even know if you have to even bother asking you this question. There's never been a back-to-back BCBC champ. I know you're an all-or-nothing kind of guy. Can you be happy finishing fourth and taking home 140? Yeah. I mean, so so honestly, uh, look, I had a crazy total last year that ended up having a large winning margin. And if you asked me right before they posted the final leaderboard, actually, it's funny, my buddy Brad – took a picture of me standing there and he said to me, you know, I'm, I'm hitting reload over and over. And he says, you know, what's going on? And I kind of look up, like, I don't know. I thought the little silly two seconds later when the lead was 50,000 bucks, but to, to Marshall's point, you have no idea. And so from a goal standpoint, I actually do think hitting your number, you know, kind of has to really be your goal. 
you can't totally control what happens after that. I just hope you did a good job in setting a goal that ended up being the right one. But it, you know, it would be devastating after scoring out to be second, third, fourth. And yet I don't know what else I could have done. So just don't leave any regrets out there is my advice. Well, shout out to another former champ, Brad Anderson, as well, who will be with, uh, I know Matt and I will be with uh, next weekend. For me, guys, you don't know what you need at the end. I mean, if I can get to 125, 150, I'll just let the chips fall where they may. I mean, that would be unbelievable for me. Um, I'd like to, you know, top 10 would be fantastic. But again, someone might finish with 300. I mean, you don't know, and you can't control that. So I, I have a specific number in mind. You know, 125, 150 would be unbelievable uh, for me. Uh, two more questions. Marshall, who gave you the best advice on betting the BCBC, and what was it? I don't know that I don't I don't know that I'm trying to think of uh, Marshall doesn't you know, need any advice. Let's move on. Well, right. I don't, <laughs> you know, like it, it, when I played it for the first time, I didn't know a lot of horse players. That was uh, in 2015. Uh, maybe I had been to the NHC once. And so I didn't totally know what I was doing. So I don't you know, I don't know that if it wasn't a lot of learning through doing. So I don't. Um, so I don't, I don't I'm sorry. I don't have a good answer for no, that. That's all right. Um, that's that's an answer right there, uh, Frank. Yeah, I definitely don't have an answer to that either. I, I think by listening and learning and, and listening to this podcast, but just by you know having all you guys on with me, um, you know, listening to what they do and how they play it and what they what they've done in the past and and, and going off of that, that's that's probably the best advice I'm getting to date. Uh, a lot of my stuff just comes from what I've done over the years of my regular handicapping and horseplay, you know, and. Uh, I think that's one of my edges. I, I, you know, I'm a fairly large player day to day. So I do have a little edge, I think, on the live money because that's just how I play every day. It's not a lot different. I mean, BCBC is way different. I mean, I'm not betting 20,000 and 10,000 exact as on a daily basis. But overall, I, I, I like to go real small, you know one over two in my exact is I don't spread a lot. And uh, I think that's what it takes to win live money contests usually. Matt. Uh, so I have two answers, you know, one, you know, I get a little sentimental actually, when I see the question, I have a lifelong buddy named Eric, uh, who I went to some BCBCs with who gave me actually the courage through a text. You know, there was a big long shot. I was debating betting. And he quite literally came up with some magical words about this is the stuff dreams are made of or something like that. And I actually bought it and made the bed and the thing hit and it was crazy. And in a strange way, it kind of unlocked a beast that I don't know would have ever gotten unlocked otherwise. Uh, the other, the, I guess the other bit of advice he gave um, in a different year. And it's, it's funny. He was no more seasoned a contest pro than me, but he's just a good guy to bounce stuff off of. Uh, there was a year in which, uh, there was a horse trying to do something it used to do well. And there was a horse that was in the process of actively doing it well. And when he put it to me in those terms, it made it so simple, which of the two to play and which of the two not to. So listen, you, you still make your own opinions, but Go with people you respect. Go with people you like. Listen to what they have to say. It helps sometimes. I mean, in, in both of those cases, well, in one of those cases, it, it solidified an opinion I had. And in the other case, it helped to flip it. Uh, 
So that's my advice. Yeah. Go listen to go listen to people that you've listened to before. Yeah, well, my advice would be listen to smart people like the three people I have on this screen. I'd say this gentleman right here um, has clearly given me the most contest advice. People find it surprising because I've been handicapping for you know 25, almost 30 years. I'm uh, you know hosting a podcast. I really have only gotten a contest play in the last like two years, to be honest with you. Not for any negative reasons. I just wasn't interested or just didn't know about it. And I have to give a lot of credit to Matt, who, in general, the advice is sort of similar to what you said, Frank, is to narrow in your opinions that don't spread so much. You know, don't hedge as much. Don't go one over four and exact. You got you got to go for it in general. Just be aggressive. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, and, and if you're not ready to be aggressive um, in spots, then you really probably then this contest is probably not for you. And that's absolutely fine. These contests are not for everyone. But in general, just aggressiveness and how to manage your money. Matt's obviously extremely good at that. Matt, I, I appreciate all the advice you gave on that. Guys, as we wrap up the show. Uh, Hold on, Howard. Howard, can you edit that last piece you said where it's not for everybody? Remember, we want these guys to keep on uh, jumping in these pools <laughs> for us. So don't tell that to everybody. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't want whether you're a, a novice. If you've never played before, just, just in. throw in 10 grand and, and help build that you know, personal money you for go. Frank. And, no, well, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to make the counterpoint. And here's the counterpoint. If you're lucky enough to win your way into the BCBC, uh, honest to goodness, the $2,500 contribution that you're making to the prize pool that may, may very well go to someone on the screen or somewhere else. It's, it is not a crazy unreasonable price for admission, for the insider access you get, for the cool places you get to be and people you see, you know, the food's not amazing, but they feed you. Okay. There's pre parties, there's after parties. It's a great time. And so for the 2,500 bucks to go out to Santa Anita I don't know. I don't think you have to go play like a lunatic with your 7,500 bucks to still be in this tournament and have a nice time. You just probably don't have a chance to win. Well, they also pay out to the top 15, right? And they have 15 mm -hmm. NHC seats. So I don't like, I do think, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to play to, you don't have to play to win, which makes you more likely to, oh. to zero out. Right. So I, I think that, uh, you know, you have to play it at your own, own comfort level in there. Look, if I get into a scenario in this contest where somehow in the last race, I have 10 grand, um, you know, then I probably am not in a position to win, then I'll play to hit the board, right? So there's, you know, it's, it really, it really depends on kind of where you're sitting and, and, uh, and, you know, kind of your outlook, what you're looking for as you play this contest, but there's no that, shame in not playing the win. That's why I did last year. I had 23,000 going to the last race. I just didn't see any reasonable way that I was going to win. Um, and I bet, $13,000, which is a crap load of money for me or probably for most people. Um, just hoping to get into the eight, you know, 70, 80 range and, and, and get in the top 15. And if I didn't hit, which I didn't. So I go on with my 10 grand, which, which similar to Frank, I won uh, an entry in last year. This year I did not. But um, there, there's absolutely no shame in going on with $10,000, whether you whether you bought into it or whether you, uh, you know, earned an entry into there. Uh, Marshall, Frank, Matt, does anyone have any final comments for anyone who's either playing in the BCBC uh, or is interested in live money contests of this nature in general? Yeah, I'll, I'll say for anybody who's, you know, I think we would all agree here that getting people involved in this game 
Um, and I think for all of us guys, and I know sometimes it's pretty secretive as to what you're doing in contests, but you know, for us to be ambassadors, let's call it of the game to help or get people involved, you know, this is the game we love. And I, you know, it's something that we need to get people involved. And if there's any time that, you know, people call me or whatever, see me at the racetracks, you know, I'm never going to turn them away. I mean, I might in the BCBC, but, you know, me and Marshall met a couple weeks ago, had a nice talk and it was getting 10 minutes to post, but, you know, we love horse racing and we talked uh, leading up to the contest. And, and I think to do that kind of stuff, to get people involved, uh, you know, uh, I think we could all do the, a better job and hopefully the racetracks could, who's that's their job. They should be doing that. Um, but we'll help out if we can. Matt, any I, I final do. thoughts? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Marshall. Go ahead. I know. I just, I just, you know, I just think this contest is so much fun. I mean, I think that, you know, it's, it's not only the, the handicapping these races. I'll spend the last two or three days just thinking about strategy. And after the whole thing is done, I'll think more about strategy and, and, you know, the, 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 you're always sort of learning the more of these that you play, the more you learn, the more you learn about their yourself. And uh, again, there's nothing like it. And the great thing about the Breeders' Cup is it's, you know, we've handicapped these races. I mean, it's we'll see the posters and draw, but especially like these dirt races, I don't need to look at the PPs anymore, right? I've seen these horses run all year. So then you can really think a lot about, you know, how do I, you know, extract the amount of money I need to out of the polls. And I think, you know, I, I really wish that sort of my in, in my overall game that uh, it's much more about how we bet than how we handicap. And, uh, and that's sort of in part what these contests have taught me that I've tried to bring into my own regular day-to-day -day horse playing, not always successfully, but, uh, but really this is a, this is a betting contest. And, um, and, uh, and that's, that's the most important part of it. Matt, I know you and I are going to talk right after the show here, but any final thoughts for the viewers? Good luck. Uh, looking forward to being there. Stop me if you see me. I'm more than happy to share a pick or shake a hand and ask you for a pick. <laughs> I, I guys, I'm I I'm very excited. Just for the total camaraderie of these contests is great. I'm gonna be sitting with Matt Miller, uh, Drew Cotney, uh, Peter Thomas Forental, and Nick Zamaro, and and okay. uh, my good friend Kyle Roscoe. I mean, and Brad. If I, I'm sorry. And Brad Anderson. And Brad Anderson. Excuse me. Sorry about that, Brad. I had to keep in mind who I'm sitting with. And who knows, maybe some other people. Um, just the whole weekend is going to be great. Whether I zero out or win the whole thing, I'm going to enjoy it to its fullest. And this this particular Breeders' Cup, guys, we'd all agree, the star power is absolutely off the charts. I am definitely going to be going down to the paddock more than I did last year in Del Mar. Not that the star power wasn't great at Del Mar, but the, the horse flesh and the talent and just beauty of these horses is unmatched this particular Breeders' Cup, in my opinion. Guys, it's been a real pleasure. I'm going to be there, like I said, also. Please hit me up on, on, on DMs, people on Twitter. I'd love to meet you and, and say hello. And I do wish everyone good luck who's playing in the BCBC. For champions, Matt Miller and Marshall Graham, and hope to be soon champions, Fake Mastari and myself. This has been Howard Kravitz, episode 199 of the HHH Racing Podcast. This has been the Breeders' Cup betting contest special. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Bye-bye.